All right, so uh, I hope you brought your Bibles because you're going to need it. I mean, not that you don't need it any other day, but, you know, it's just you're going to need it a little bit today. So I've got some scripture for you. A little more uh, scripture intensive than I normally go, but um, God was definitely uh, working on this one. So I couldn't figure out what to teach. To be honest with you, I was asking God, and I had all these random ideas, and I started to I get the, the one idea that I had or the one thing that God had kind of spoke to me and I'd start to get into it and I'd sit there and just stare at the keyboard and I'd be like, nope, that's not it. And so I'd grab the next idea, go through my ideas and just sit, on the key, sit, sit there on the keyboard and look and, and nope, that's not it. And so I'm like, God, what do you want me to teach? And he, he gave me Second Peter. So we're going to go to Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter 2. There was a 2 in there, it just wasn't the right one. I can get actually get to it here. All right. So we're going to start in 1 Peter 2, 9. And I'm going to kind of break this apart a little bit for you guys. We're going to probably have to do this in two weeks because I don't have enough time and uh, way too much material to get into this. So 1 Peter 2, 9. I guess I should get to the correct one. There we go. 1 Peter 2, 9. And this is uh, the revelation of Peter, the letter that he's writing that God gave him a revelation of. And he says this, But you are a chosen and royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may, be, excuse me, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvel, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I was reading this, and we're going to continue on throughout this, but I was reading this, and I'm like, okay, I have the ESV. I don't know what you guys have. ESV is, is pretty spot on with, like, as close to King James literal translation as you can get, and I, I like to get to the as best as I possibly can to what was said, but I also like to expand upon that. So I was reading through some different translations, and this one came up and it said, um, Let's find it right here. There we go. He said, but you have been, been covered with mercy, been drenched in mercy. Not you have received mercy, just you're covered in it. It's not, oh, here you go, and then you have to, you guys ever gotten a gift, and you're like, oh, thank you for this gift, now I have to return it. You know, it's like, you got me, you got me this gift, you're like, oh, okay, I got a gift, and now I don't know what to do with this because... It's a dress, and I, I, I really don't wear dresses that often. So, I mean, <laughs> my wife gave me that idea. Now I just threw everything off. Um, so, no, I just, but it says you've been covered in mercy. Not like, oh, hey, here's, here's mercy. Now you have it. Now you have to do something with it. it mercy is not something that we have, something, have anything to do with. Mercy is given to us freely and we are covered in it it's not oh well you have to apply mercy every day it's not like a doctor's prescription okay apply every day take three times a day if it, if, if it worsens call doctor you know it's god has given us he has covered us in mercy and it's freely given to us so i was looking through this and i'm like okay he's chosen us it says that he has chosen us he says you're a chosen race you're chosen people you're chosen because he loved you. He, he chose you before you were born. 
He called you before you were born. He called you before the foundations of the earth were in existence. So I started to really think about this. What, he says we are chosen. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own possession. And Ephesians 1.4, and I love this translation, the Passion Translation, says he chose you to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in, the, in his eyes with, un, with an unstained innocence. So what the foundations of the earth means is this, is before everything was created, he loved you. Before everything that was to be was created, when it was just a glimmer in his eye, when he was getting, getting ready to create it, he's like, I love this person, this person, this person. He's called us and chose us to be part of him. But what I love about it is the word um, chosen and translated in the um, Aramaic actually means he has marked us with his love. He marked us before we were born that he would love us, that he cared about us enough to do something for us. It says, predestined us, set us apart. So it wasn't just a coincidence that God looked down and said, oh, I guess I lo- will love them. He knew who, he, who you were before you were born. And then Romans 5a says, but God demonstrated his love for us. And I love this scripture. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He, he, while we were sinners, before we were born, Christ died for us. It wasn't like Christ died for everybody up to that point. He, he took what was already done and what was to be and laid it upon himself and died for us. And what was really cool about this is as when he, he predestined us, when he chose us, um, there's a Greek translation, the unique wording that says, he chose us to be a word before the fall of the world. He chose us to be people who would take the gospel out before Adam sinned. Everything's all, when Adam sinned, God had to, re, you know, a lot of people think when God, when Adam sinned, God had to come up with another plan. No, God didn't have to have another plan. He knew what was going to happen because he loved Adam enough and Eve enough to give them free will. Now, I'm not going to control you. Well, you can't eat of this. And then he just stood there by the tree. What you doing? Quit looking at it. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. He didn't do that. He said, this is the only thing I don't want you to do. Do everything else, but don't do this. And he just said, but go, be free to do it. He gave them that, that ability to choose. So when he says that you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he's calling out those things in you before you were born, before you made the choice to serve Christ and to follow him. You know, one of the most classic scriptures that we have is John 3.16. And it's so used, you know, remember, if any of you guys from the 80s, you remember the Bannerman guy, he would stand up in the football stadiums and have the big John 3.16 sign and he would go from stadium to stadium and he would always have that sign up. And it was just kind of a cool um, thing. And people thought he was crazy and wacko, but you know what? Everybody, I guarantee you, 
would look for, if they didn't know what it was, would try to go, what's that guy doing? You ever seen something while you're driving down the road and you're like, what is that? And you're like, you get home and you look it up or you're on your phone and you're looking up and it's like, he had the ability, that guy had the ability to stand up and say, oh, by the way, this is what you need. This is what God has done for us. And John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, and you're a whoever, everyone's a whoever, believes in him, in him should not perish but have eternal life. That doesn't mean physically die. That means, that means spiritually dead. That means you die spiritually. That means when you die spiritually, you either go to God or far from God. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to give you my son as a gift to make it so you have the ability to be with me. So says he, he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. We see throughout the Old Testament the different um, moments where God asked people to sacrifice things. We look at one of the, the closest resemblances to this would be Abraham and Isaac. And he says, Abraham, oh, by the way, you know, you've, you're a hundred, you've wanted a son, now you're going to go and take your son and you're going to sacrifice him on the altar. And Abraham's like, yeah, are you sure? And God's like, yeah. But Abraham didn't didn't say, okay, well, no, I'm not going to do that. He, he knew the faithfulness of God that when he brought his son up there, God would provide. So he, he, gets, he takes that journey. He, his son asks him, hey, where's the ram? He said, God will provide. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide. And he gets up there and he's, he's basically set his son on the altar and he's ready to sacrifice him. And an angel of the Lord basically stops him and says, no, stop. And throughout, throughout that process, then God does provide a sacrifice for him. But we look at what Abraham was about to do, and God stopped him. But we look at what God did, and he sent his son to die. He sacrificed his son. He put him on the altar for our sins because he chose us to bring us out of darkness into light. To be his people, not foreigners, not uh, uh, strange from God. It says in verse 10, 1 Peter 9.10, it says, or excuse me, 2.10, says, once you were not my people, but now you are. You once had not received mercy, but now you're covered in it. His mercy flowed out because he chose us. He chose us because he wanted us to be part of him. He called us out. You know, when Peter is writing this, he's not just suggesting it. He's calling it out in the people that he's writing it to. He's like, this is what you are. Believe it because this is what God has done to allow you to receive that. And so we see throughout Scripture that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that we would not be separated from God. And what I, I love about the New Testament and the Old Testament is there are signs of God throughout everything. And when David is writing in Psalms 103, 12, he says, You, God, take all of my crimes, our, my seemingly inexhaustible sin, and remove them as far as the east is from the west. And 
And what oh, another translation says, he says his, our sins are removed from us as far as the sun sets and rises. So he calls us. It, it's not something that he just says, well, I want you to be part of me and you can just chill out. And, and he says, I called you. I called you to be something greater than what you were. That's why I brought you from sin into forgiveness. That's why I brought you from darkness into light. And I, I think as Christians, sometimes we, we, we rest in the idea that we are God's children. And, and it's a great thing to rest in. But sometimes we can rest so much in it, sometimes we become like the prodigal son, where it's like, oh, this is my father. He's got everything I need. I don't have to worry about anything. But he says, I called you not just to be a son in the house. I've called you to be my heirs, my uh, uh, royal priesthood. Not just somebody that sits back and waits for it to happen, but someone that goes and makes it happen. Colossians 1.14 And in him whom we have received and, forgiven of our, and forgiveness of our sins through his blood. Colossians 1.4 says we've received forgiveness and been redeemed through his blood. His blood is what, the only thing that allows us to be right in the eyes of God. His blood is what was shed over us. That is his mercy covering us, poured out over us. It says that his blood was poured out for our sins. But that blood was poured out over our lives. So that we could be right, that we were brought from sin to salvation, from darkness to to light. But he says, but now you are God's people. When you've received him, you are God's people. You're not just these random servants and slaves in his house that are working for him. He says, you're my people. You're my friends. You're my loved ones. I've brought you into this. Because what happens is, is this, is slaves don't know what the master's doing until the master says, this is what you're doing. But sons and daughters in the house know what the, the father is doing and are active participants in it. Slaves are just forced to do what they're told to do. But sons and daughters are participants in the kingdom. So he saved us, he set us free, and he's redeemed us. Those three things, I could, go to, I could live the rest of my life and go to my grave happy that he has set us free, saved us, and redeemed us. Three things. That's just three things that he's done for us. There's list upon list of what he's done for us. But when he, he calls us out as his chosen people, he says, you're my chosen people. I've set you free. I've redeemed you. I've washed away your sins. He calls us to be different, though. He doesn't say, well, I've washed you, I've cleaned you. It's like my kids, they'll wash the dog. We got one dog, when we, when we wash him, what does he do? He, he, we wash him, and then he goes and rubs himself on the carpet, and then he tries to figure a way outside. And then he rubs himself throughout the dirt and gets all kinds of stuff all over him. And, and then he wants to come back inside, and it's like, we've just washed you. We've just washed you. It's like a child when, when they're little. You wash them and then you turn around and they're in something. You're like, how, 
like, do they not move at like mock speed when they're, when they're little babies and you turn around and you're like, how did you get, and where did you get that? And, and, and he's, he's washed us. He, he doesn't just set us up and say, oh, I've washed you. Now go ahead and, and do what you want. But, but a lot of people believe that. Well, I'm born again and I can go live like hell and do whatever I want to do, but it's okay, I'm born again and I'll go to heaven. But he's called us to be more than that. He's called us to be different. In verse 11, 1 Peter 2, 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify the God on the day of his visitation. So he calls us to be different. He calls us that when we're born again, repentance is this. Repentance is as I'm turning from sin, so I'm heading in this direction and I meet Jesus. He changes my life and I repent and I walk away from my sin. But a lot of people, what we do in our lives is sometimes we walk away from sin and we're just like, Yep, I'm following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And, and we, we, we take some of our old life that is be- dead and buried with Christ, and he raises up as a new person. We take and we drag back that old man. We drag back the old person. And, and, and every one of us have that. And it's like, and when you drag back that old man, you just want to beat yourself down. You're like, no, stop. You need it. And, but we pick up the old sometimes and we carry it with us. Why, why do we become grave robbers? If, if we're born again, we're brand new, we're completely brand new, not, not a res- restoration, not a, well, a, a, a fixer-upper, we're completely new. So why do we go back and, and start digging through the grave and pick up old and try to put it on? What it's like is this, is as an adult, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm an adult now. I go to do what I want. And we start to walk in our life. And then why would we go back to our childhood and pick up a, a, the coat we wore when we were four and try to put it on? Because it doesn't fit us, it's not going to work. That's why when we're on one side and the other, it doesn't work. We were like, I'm a new creature. And then we try to put on the old man in it, and it just creates turmoil in us. It creates something in us that we don't know how to fix. Because God's not call, called us to step on both sides of the aisle. He's told us to walk one way or the other. And so when we're born again, when we're a, a new creation, he says, put on the new creation, not put on the old man. He said, forget the old man. The old man didn't, cause and didn't do anything good for you. The new man walks in the fullness of Christ. So he says, Keep your content or your conduct, excuse me, among the Gentiles honorable. It says walk in a way that no one can say anything about you, even when they try to say something about you, they're gonna see your life and they're gonna be like, that doesn't match up. So what happens is though we try to put on the old man and we try to keep a couple, just a little bit of that, because in case we have a bad day. Well, I need that anger or I need that, that, uh, that 
bitterness because when I have a bad day, I need to unleash it on somebody. But he's like, no, you, you, need, to, you need to die to self, pick up your cross and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry my cross. I'm going to be the new person that God created me to be. That, so that when people say, well, I remember when they did this, well, people will be like, well, you may remember when they did this, but I don't see anything in their life that represents that or that they may have done that. The, the problem with people is they remember your sins as far as the east is from the west, but God forgets them. So when your life changes and people are like, well, that person used to do this, this, and this, and, and some of the new people in your life, well, I don't know that person. I don't know who they are. I never saw them do that. All I know of them is this. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I like the Passion Translation. It says this, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Your thinking will take you wherever you want it to go. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I, that's, that's blunt. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of this world. The problem with Christians is, is we, we take this and we like, I'm a Christian, and then some of our values don't represent what is in this book. We, we spend more time talking about the things that are outside of the will of God than we talk about what's in the will of God for our, our lives. But he says, stop imitating the world. Stop taking their ideals and their opinions and, and thinking that they're, they're good. If you really want to see the, the opinions and the ideals of this world, be on Facebook for like an hour and you'll just be like, I can't do this. The, the, the crap that you will see from people that, oh, I love God, but this is my opinion of this, this is my idea of this, and it's like, that's, that's not God. But we all, we all struggle with that because inside of us is this little war of, I know I'm a new creation, but the old man wants to creep back in, and you just got to lock the door. Put an extra nail in the coffin. There's a footnote in the Passion Translation, and it says this on 12.2. It says, don't be squeezed into the mold of the present age. Don't, don't, tr- don't be squeezed into the mold of what you should be for the, for the culture that is going on today. Everything that, we do, that we're doing right now is countercultural to what is believed today. That a man came 3,000 years ago from heaven. That right there just throws everybody off from a God who we've never seen but is there and we have faith in even though we haven't seen him and faith is contrary to what everything that we've been taught to think. I need to see it to believe it. Doubting Thomas. But God says have faith in something that you've never seen and know it's going to be there when you don't see that it's there. Mind blown. It's kind of a hard concept sometimes. 
but don't squeeze your idea, yourself into the mold that the world has of what you should believe, of what is acceptable today, what the 2% that you think is the 80% should think today. Stop thinking that the majority of what you're seeing outside of the, outside of the Word of God is actually correct in what should be thought today. Be transformed that, by the renewing of your mind that you will know what the will of God is. So that when you look at, when you step out of the church and when you step outside of the, the Bible and you stop reading the Bible and you look at the world and you're going, um, yeah, well, nope, those don't match up. But we, we try to take God and we try to squeeze him into this mold of what the world thinks that he should be. And he's just this hippie guy that looks like a surfer. He wears flip-flops. And he just, he just loves everybody and not, nobody ever does anything wrong. That is, not, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not Jesus. Jesus got a, lot, uh, got a little uh, vicious sometimes with people. And it wasn't that he was, hated them. But he, he got a little, yeah, as my daughter would say, he got a little salty with him. <laughs> but Jesus, people, you look at his disciples, the disciples tried to conform Jesus into the image that the people wanted. Well, hey, can I sit with you on your throne? When are we going to defeat the Romans? When are we going to do this? The people thought that he was going to ride in. They had this idea that they would try to squeeze Jesus into this mold of the conquering king who would come in and slay all the Romans, release them to, have their own, uh, to, to be free, and go in there. And, and God's like, this is not my king. That's not how my kingdom works. But I love that he says, don't be squeezed into the mold that the world says that it should be but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you look at your thoughts and you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What is your thought? Does that align with what God says it should be? If it doesn't, then you say, you know what? No, you go in a holding cell until you submit to what Christ says. You take your thoughts and your emotions captive and you say, you know what? No, until it submits to what Christ says about it, and it may not be sin, it may just be you not understanding. You have to say, you know what, no, I'm going to, until I actually, my belief system lines up with what Jesus says, what the Bible says, what the Father says, I'm going to stop and I'm going to wait for God to transform my heart in that area. We think, oh, my thoughts. Your thoughts will take you to places that you don't want to go. Your thoughts will take you down roads that you're like, how did I get here? Because your thought life, it starts here and here, and then it goes into actions. And we, we spend time, we're like, well, you know, I just, I need to be a better person. It's like, this is what helps us become a better person. Communicating with God, reading what he has said for, a, to, for us to read, and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our lives is what makes us a better person. What you do does not make you a better person. Your actions do not make you a better person. You can never do enough to make you a better person. Because when it really comes down to it, Christ's blood is the only thing that makes us a better person. Because he has washed us. 
So God has called us his royal priesthood. That means that, that it's not just one man that speaks the gospel anymore. One man that you go to to get things taken care of with God. A royal priesthood means that you're communicating with God. That means you're spending time with God. That means you're telling people what God is saying. So why do we, why do we look to man to lead us in everything for God? We, we need leadership. Don't get me wrong. We need leadership in our lives. We need people to direct us. But we have the same book that church leaders have. Uh, we, we have because of the Reformation, we have this book that we hold, held in our hands. We can hold our hands in about 40 or 60 or 100 different translate, versions of it. If you go to Bible Gateway, it's like scroll, 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 scroll. It's like good grief. Got to get a bookmark. You got to set ones as favorites. It's just easier that way. But we have this book as a guide to our life because a man said, "No, I believe that everyone should hear from God and be able to read what His Word says." So it's not just I go to the priest to see what He says, what God is saying. I can look and see what God is saying, and I can hear from God through the Holy Spirit. Because you can read this and not hear from God if you don't have the Holy Spirit involved. This has to be ignited with the Holy Spirit. It has to have a, it has to have a catalyst agent of the Holy Spirit to work in your life, or otherwise this is just text. This book has been burnt more than any other book in the world. This book has been destroyed more than any other one. There's more Bibles produced in the world than any other book. But again, this can be trampled on. It can be thrown in the trash because it is still a book, but the words are holy. And when ignited by the Holy Spirit, it creates something in us. So he calls you a royal priesthood. You have this to take with you, to demonstrate what God says, to show people what God says. But he calls you to be different because he's called you to be a priest. You're a royal priesthood. That means every one of you has the ability to tell people what God is doing in the world and what he's done in your life and what he can do in their life. So if he's called you to be a priest, he's calling you out saying you have to do something with it. You can't just sit back and say, well, I got my Bible and we're going to hunker down and we're going to get in our bomb shelter and eat our, eat our buckets of food and wait for Jesus to come back. That's called flaky. If you got people trying to sell you stuff and give you stuff to tell you to sit in your bunker and read your Bible till Jesus comes back, we got a problem. You probably shouldn't be listening and you probably shouldn't be sending your money to that person. Because the love of Christ is not holding down and hunkering down and waiting for Jesus to come back. It's taking the gospel to all nations, every tribe, every tongue, that they will hear the good news of Jesus. People give their lives as royal priesthood because God has called them out to go to nations and deliver the gospel. I was uh, reading somewhere that there's, um, in China, there's house churches, and they don't even have 
a whole book of the Bible. They have like three or four pages. And they, every week, that's what they have to base a sermon on, or that's what they have to read from. So think about this. If you only had three pages, you really got to let the Holy Spirit to do, if you're the pastor of that church, you really got to have inspiration of the Holy Spirit because those three pages, you can go through really quick. But the Holy Spirit has inspired these words. I want to read this to you. First Peter is literally... Let me get there. Three and a quarter page. But there is more in First Peter than you will find in stacks and stacks of books on philosophy and theology and spiritualism. There's more in the book of First Peter that can direct your life and give you wisdom on how to live your life and what God has called for your life and how to live your life than stacks and stacks, libraries of books, warehouses of books can give you. Because none of them are inspired like this is inspired. So he's called you out and he's saying, I want you to take this, live this, but take this. Don't just be like, well, this is my Bible and I'm going to hold on to it and I'm only going to read it. I'm going to keep it to myself. When we keep the good news of Jesus Christ to ourselves, it's not good news to people because they don't know that it's good news. Good news is, hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ who saved me, who took me out of depression and drug addiction and brought me out into the light where he has now made me whole, healthy, and delivered? He saved us, he set us free, and he redeemed us so we could have a relationship with him, that we could understand it, that the fire of the Holy Spirit, when it's a catalyst for these words, delivers something and changes us, and it changes people. So let's not squeeze what we believe or what we want to Jesus and ourselves into a mold that the world says it should be. I got a joke for you, and, and don't get offended at this. Um, and if you get offended at this, I'm, oh well. Um, uh, so there, there's, a, there's a big fire in this city, and there's three churches that are on fire. And the first one is a Catholic church, and the, and the priest runs, and he gets the sacrament out, and he brings it out. And the next is a, is a um, Jewish synagogue, and the, and the priest runs in, and, or the rabbi runs in, and he grabs the Torah. And there's a Unitarian church, and they run in and grab the coffee maker and the microwave. And there you go. Anyway, all right. So I just had to close with that. But God has called you to be more than what you are. He set you free to be more than, than what you, your life was before that. He wouldn't have shed his son's blood if he didn't find a huge value in every one of us. He finds value in the lowest of the low because he sees something in them. His disciples were the lowest of low because they couldn't make it into the school to be a rabbi. They couldn't make it into be priest. 
because they were either too uneducated or their parents didn't have enough standing or wealth in the in the society. But God is not a per, is not a God that looks and says, "Well, they have a little more wealth, so I'm going to use them instead because they may have more influence." God is not a respecter of persons. He looks at everyone and says, "You're all on the same playing field. It's what you do with it. It's what you have decided to do with it." There's probably people in our area, in our town, that were called to be evangelists and ministers of the gospel, but either they didn't do anything with it or no one ever inspired it into them and said, man, you have a gift to do this. Why don't you do this? There's probably people who would, start, would have started a church before us, but maybe no one ever said, man, God has really put a heart to pastor people in you or God has called you to, to do this. But God called everyone. Everyone has a calling. It's, it may not be up front. It may not be in, in the limelight. It may be ministering to people that aren't, being, aren't seen by the rest of the world. It may be ministering to people that no one knows that need to be ministered to. But God has called every one of you. He's called every one of you because he loves you. He's called every one of you because he sees value in every one of you. Even in our darkest, he sees value because he sees what is good in us, not what is bad in us. We still deal with sin because sin is part of the nature of our fallen nature. But do we focus on it? No, because we focus on what Christ has done to redeem us from that sin. And he forgives us daily. It says repent. And he, if we repent, he is faithful to forgive. So God has called you. I, I'm, I'm challenging you. What is God doing to think about? What is God doing? What is he calling you out in your life to do? What is he calling you out in your life to do for him? It may be something as simple as, as praying with somebody you see at a restaurant. It may be as simple as um, you see somebody in the store and you're like, oh, hey, let me, let me just pray with you. Or, hey, how's your, how's, how's your family? How's this going? And being able to minister to them. But he doesn't call you a royal priesthood to, make you, to let you stand in your house and wait for people to come to you. He calls us to go out and preach the gospel. Let's pray.